We're in that part of the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where Paul once again brings up the subject of prayer. In verse 2, he wants them to pray. He just says, he urges them to pray. And then in verse 3 of chapter 4, he wants them to pray for him. What I would like to do today is to speak to you on the subject of prayer as though you knew nothing about it. Now, I, I know that's not the case, but I want to make it so simple. If maybe someone, you're a new Christian, you've never heard anything quite like this, or you've had questions, uh, I have to tell you that um, the more I know about prayer, the less I understand. So I think it wouldn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how much you know, we all need to learn. And uh, I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Now, this is one of the parables of Jesus. It's one of my favorite parables. It's called the Parable of the Persistent Widow. Uh, it, it reads by itself, in a way, it doesn't need a lot of comment. Uh, but this is what he says in Luke, chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't uh, beat me down by her continued coming. And then Jesus made a comment. He said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No, I tell you, he will give them justice and speedily. Well, Jesus added a question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind of those watching, listening right now, in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I ask that this will bless everybody, and especially someone who really needs to know just what prayer is. Help me to be clear in a way that this will be a blessing. And may it be a word that brings honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I just said, the more I know about prayer, the less I know. And I've been preaching for 60 years, and um, I've written more than one book on prayer. And I'm still learning. But here's what I want to do. I want to share five things about prayer. First, the mystery of prayer. Second, the miracle of prayer. Third, the maintenance of prayer. Fourth, the ministry of prayer. And finally, the method of prayer. 
Well, let me explain what I mean by mystery of prayer. I need to tell you, no matter how much you understand prayer, it will be a mystery. One of the mysteries is this, uh, whether more people praying uh, somehow gets God to work more quickly. In other words, do we need to get a lot of people praying in order for God to be moved? And then at the same time, uh, what about one person who doesn't have anybody to help him or her? And they think, well, I, I don't have anybody to join with me. Is prayer only effectual when a lot of people are doing it? Well, uh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Uh, we know this, that there's a famous verse in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, this is a very familiar verse. Uh, it's a verse that has been relevant, uh, particularly at the present time. Uh, we're going through this coronavirus crisis, and it just happens, as I speak, in America, there's a new crisis. There's violence on the streets. It is so sad because of the death of George Floyd and the way he was murdered. It has brought outrage of Americans unlike anything I've seen, but it has also led to violence and the violence is so bad. In fact, as I speak, it's still going on. I hope by the time you hear this, it will turn out that things have calmed down. But I have to say, if this is not stopped here in America, it could be worse than the crisis that we've all been worried about. I mean, in terms of, of what it does to property, what it does to the economy, and, and even the loss of life. Well, what we need to do is pray. And here's a verse. Uh, it's used many, many times. Uh, perhaps some would think it's hackneyed. They know it so well. But it's still a verse we need to take seriously because these are the words of God. He says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, that's a promise. And I know that this promise has been appealed to in Britain, in America, and all over the world. And we're pleading with God. He says, seek my face, turn from your ways. Now, there's one difference we have to admit. Uh, Israel was a theocracy. Well, Britain is not a theocracy. America is not a theocracy. Uh, God doesn't totally rule. We're not under the law and go by the Ten Commandments. And so when, when the writer here, or quoting God, says, if my people, well, that refers to Israel. But why can't we use that? We believe in God. We're his people. We're his chosen. We're the ones who love the Lord. And Or you could just say the church, if the church will do this. In any case, this is a great promise. And he says, if my people. Now, here's the question. Mystery of prayer. Is it better to have more? Does that mean that God will be more influenced? Or is he waiting for a few more to, to, to say something? And he says, well, I'm not hearing from enough of you. It's a mystery. Because there's an occasion when David, in his exile, by himself, 
as far as we know, he didn't get people around and say, I want you all to pray. He cried out to God, Lord, confuse the wisdom of Ahithophel. That was a man uh, in Israel who was highly regarded, and it turned out that he had sided with Absalom. And Ahithophel's word was like law. I mean, it was that was a, a voice from God. And the, because Ahithophel had sided with Absalom, David knew, they, David knew that he was finished. But he just cried out to God by himself, please confuse his word. And it was an answer to prayer. God answered one man. So what we know is that sometimes God will answer just one person. Other times we're told that many people should pray. And, and so Paul, he says, pray for me. That's what he says. Pray for me. I'm sure he'd ask others to do that. And I'm sure we've all done this. Uh, it's a great blessing for me to know that some of you, maybe all of you, but certainly some of you, in Kensington Temple, pray for Louise and me. That means so much to us. You're like our family across the Atlantic uh, in our mother country. Uh, I should be there now, as you know, and would be there except for this crisis. We had no choice. But thank you for your prayers. Now, back to the point. It is a mystery. It is a mystery. You wonder, do you need to get more involved? Why does God want more? Let's not try to figure it out. One of the things that uh, I've sought to teach, and if you'll forgive me for mentioning it one more time, is that when Moses saw the burning bush and said, I'm going to see what's going on here. Why doesn't this bur uh, bush burn up? And he got so close and God said, stop, stop. Don't come in any closer. You're on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And the truth is, there, were, there was something that God did not want Moses to figure out. He wanted to figure out what's going on. And God says, I'm not going to tell you. You just come so close. And so it is when we understand something like prayer. We can teach it and do it and hope. But at the end of the day, it will always be a mystery. We won't be able to figure everything out. So uh, I know this, that in this present crisis, God is trying to get our attention. Because as you've heard me say again and again, and I will come back to this, because next time I speak, I want to speak on the subject, the unconscious fringe benefit of prayer. Uh, that will be another time. But we know this, there is a benefit, and one of the things is that we enjoy his presence. And that's why you've heard me say, uh, God likes our company. All right, first, the mystery of prayer. Second, the miracle of prayer. What's that? All right. Billions of people can be talking to God. Billions. And yet when you talk to him, he will listen to you as if you're the only one. That's absolutely true. When I pray, I'm aware that there are many, many countless people. They're also praying. And am I to believe that, uh, well, no use for me talking to God. There's too many in the queue. There are too many trying to get his attention. Now, there are some that have a, such a superstitious view of God. The, this is why some pray to saints. Did you know this? They're those who pray to saints because they think Jesus is too busy. Uh, they 
pick a saint that's not so busy. That's utter foolishness. Here's the miracle of prayer. God will listen to you as though no one else is talking. He will. And that's the miracle of prayer. And the thing is, it works. God answers prayer. Now, the big question is, and this goes back to the mystery, why are some prayers answered and some are not? Well, back to mystery. But for the moment, I want to move on to the miracle of prayer. John Wesley said that God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Now, I don't think that's always true. I'm sure there are times that God just steps in and nobody thought to pray about it. In fact, I'm amazed again and again how he answers prayers I didn't even ask him to do. He's stepping in. I think, Lord, I didn't ask you to do that. You see, he does that. But generally speaking, do you realize Pentecost was an answer to prayer? Of uh, the 120 had been praying for, for some 10 days and God answered. Later on, when there was persecution, the church turned to God in Acts chapter 4. And they, they asked God to come in power and the place was shaken. And God answered prayer. Uh, in Acts chapter 12, they arrested Peter. And they thought, oh no, we mustn't lose Peter because they'd already lost James. Uh, and they thought, if we lose Peter, whatever will we do? And the church prayed with all their hearts and God answered prayer. Another mystery is, do we need to show more earnestness, uh, more agony? Does that make a difference? Perhaps to some degree, because this is why in R Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. In other words, it's not just head knowledge. And that gives me a hint that how we feel matters when it comes to our faith. Well, now with prayer, I do think it does help because do you know the first time the word tears is found in the Bible? It's 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5, when Hezekiah had been told that he's going to die. And he just turned to God and the prophet Isaiah came to him and said, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Mm. That may make a big difference. Let's try tears. The point is, we won't understand everything. But it's wonderful to know this miracle of prayer that God does answer. And yet, back to the mystery. I am not explaining everything today, but let me move on. The third thing, the maintenance of prayer. Very important. Why? Well, that's because we must keep doing it. And that's why I read the passage I did from the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus gave this parable. And the point of the parable is, don't stop praying. This lets you know right now that you pray once and you pray twice, you pray three times, you pray four times. Where you, If I were to tell you, there are some things that I prayed for virtually every day for 20 years. Really, really. And when I go through my prayer list, and, and, and I have a prayer list, and I'm say this parenthetically, I hope you have a prayer list because I would urge you to spend time with God. You say, well, what are you doing all the time? I don't know what to say. Have a prayer list. I have many items on that prayer list. And uh, 
when I pray, my prayer list, I go through the, the list and pray each item as, as if I never prayed it before. It's just what I do. I suggest it to you that you just keep going back to God. And if it weren't for the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, I don't know how to do this. I don't think I would. Uh, my friend Arthur Blessett, who is a very sick man as I speak. I phoned him a few minutes ago. I was unable to reach him. But whenever he signs his name, I don't care if it's a letter or a document, he'll sign his name in Luke 18.1. Luke 18.1. And here's what it says, that Jesus gave a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, don't give up. This is a good indication that God expects us just to keep it up. And that's what was meant in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You pray and seek his face. Why do you seek? You seek because you haven't found yet, but you're still going in the right direction. Uh, my verse that you've heard me quote many times, how can you believe you'll receive honor one of another, not seek the honor? Uh, that means that you just don't give up. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Well, prayer, the maintenance prayer uh, of prayer. Uh, when we get to verse 12 in Colossians, we're told that Epaphras, you see, he didn't give up. He just kept on praying. And uh, this is an important thing to remember. Let me ask you, do you just pray for something and if it's not answered that day or that week, it, you give up? Big mistake. Big mistake. Now, I have a theory. One of the reasons God doesn't answer your prayer, at least for a while, is, as you've heard me say, and I'll say it again, He likes your company. And if He answered your prayer, you'd just say, well, thanks a lot, Lord. Goodbye. And I think one of the reasons He wants you to maintain praying, and yet Jesus said, think of that unjust judge who got sick and tired of that persistent widow and said, I, she's wearing me out. I'm just going to give her what she wants. And God says, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give His own people? Uh, Jesus uses the word His elect, His chosen. How much more will your Father give you when you just pray to Him and ask day and night? You see, another reason God doesn't quickly answer prayer, He wants to see how important is this to you? How important? You want it so much that you just keep on praying. Now, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, for us to be in season, in season, uh, be instant, in season, out of season. What's that mean? Well, in season, there are times when you feel the presence of God, and it's wonderful, and it's easy to pray, and it's enjoyable, and it's thrilling. And you say, oh, this is so good. I can't wait till my prayer time tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and you feel nothing. You think, where's God? This is why Paul says, be instant. In other words, don't give up. There will be days when you don't feel like praying. Pray anyway. Don't wait for that sense of his presence to come before you pray. You must be consistent. And that's why I say you should have a prayer list. But I want to come now to the next point. 
I call it the ministry of prayer. Do you realize there are those who have a ministry of prayer? Let me put it this way. Suppose you're not the pastor, you're not on the staff, you're not a teacher, you're not a musician, and you say, I'm just an ordinary, ordinary Christian. I want you to know you're the very kind of person that God is looking for who will engage in a ministry of prayer. You have no idea what that will mean to God, the church, to you. And I believe that I am led to say this. You people in Kensington Temple, I know you pray together a lot and keep it up. You have prayer meetings, keep it up. But there may be some, and you think you're so insignificant because you're not on the staff or you're not uh, a board member or deacon. Uh, you, you don't have much talent or you think you don't. I want you to know that your ministry of prayer can be what would move the heart of God. You think, my prayer? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Some of you may remember that uh, two or three years ago, I was invited to be a part of a, of a conference that was held on the 75th anniversary of the Hebrides Revival. I was so honored to be asked, and I've known of the Hebrides Revival for years and years and years. And uh, I thought, they want me to come and preach for a weekend in the, in the church where the actual revival was and on the very island where it was. And I found out so much. You can read about it. I wouldn't have needed to go there to, to know this, but you get people talking and, and they emphasize one thing. Are you aware that it was two old ladies that kept coming to God and praying and they did it for years that God would visit the Hebrides? That's a little bunch of islands on the northwest coast of Scotland. Maybe you've never heard of these islands before. And you would think, well, why would God go there? Well, they were two old ladies uh, in their 70s. And by the time revival came, I, am, I may have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure they were in their early 80s. And their prayer was this, Lord, your name is at stake. Your honor is at stake. And they didn't give up. And there was a moment when the power of God hit that area. For example, there was one time when everybody went to the local church at two o'clock in the morning, not announced. And those who went felt led, I've got to go to the church. They got out of bed and they go to the church at 2 a.m. thinking, I'm going to just go there. Lo and behold, dozens came. They were all told. They were all told. And revival break out, uh, broke out. Here's the thing. It's because of a ministry of prayer. And I would urge you, whoever you are, I pray that this will grip you. Do you realize that there, of all the gifts of the Spirit, uh, when you read about in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, uh, gift of prophecy, gift of miracles, do you realize that there's no gift of prayer? That may surprise you. 
There's no gift of prayer. And you may think, I don't have the gifts of the Spirit. Doesn't matter. God, I believe, is calling you. And all heaven will be looking at you as if there were no one else. And to see, would you be willing to have a ministry of prayer? You could just think of something that you need to pray for. Pray for Kensington Temple. Pray for Pastor Colin Dye. Uh, pray for all those on the staff. And then get a prayer list uh, where you pray for uh, major people. Uh, pray for heads of state. Uh, pray for those in parliament. Uh, and your ministry of prayer may be what God will use to turn the tide. Yes. You see, God is like that. God is like that. You take in the book of Acts chapter 2, it shows thousands who were converted. Thousands. Acts chapter 3, it starts out that Jesus is interested in one person. One person. Acts 2, thousands. Acts 3, one person. A crippled man. God is like that. And he loves to seek for that person that nobody else would use. It's just his style. He likes to choose somebody that takes the rest of the world by surprise. And by the way, what if it's never known that you have this ministry? You don't need to tell it. Far better if you don't. But that's up to you. But one day, you're going to stand before God and before the, the judge of the seat of Christ and get a reward that is designed for you. Because this was not going to get you to heaven. We don't get to heaven by how much we pray. You get to heaven because you give up hope in your good works and trust the blood of Jesus. That gets you to heaven. But you see, as you've heard me say many times, we are called to come into our inheritance. And what if part of the way God wants you to come into your inheritance as you develop this ministry of prayer, ministry of prayer, and this could be the basis of a reward in heaven that will be equal to the most high-profile person in the world. I think you've heard me say, I know I've said it, and I'm sure you've, some of you, I hope you remember it. I have this view. Low profile, low profile here below, high profile in the judgment seat of Christ. High profile now, low profile in heaven. In other words, those who are famous here below may not get the recognition in heaven because that will be the time when God rewards those people that you've never heard of. And I'm coming to you and I am asking you to consider the ministry of prayer. Yes, you. May God burn this on your heart as we speak. But I come now to the fifth point, the method of prayer. I refer now to, for example, whether you sit or kneel, whether you do it in the morning or whether you do it in the evening. Uh, many years ago, I would hear as, the, as I got up, a radio program that came on every day. And I heard this song. Before you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? 
Now, that doesn't mean you have to have a ministry of prayer in the morning. Uh, some of us are what I call a morning person. Uh, I'm that. I, I do the best in morning. After seven or eight o'clock in the evening, I just become a cabbage and I don't do very good then. I would rather watch television if I'm honest. Uh, so the point is, some are nocturnal and you can give evenings to God or at least part of the time when your mind is clear. But here is the thing. Method. I remember some years ago, an old friend of mine came to see me at Westminster Chapel. I hadn't seen him in 50 years, and I didn't even know he knew that I was there. He was a preacher who preached for me at my first church in Palmer, Tennessee. He preached for me, and I don't think I'd seen him since then. And he comes to see me, and we talked for uh, maybe an hour. And then I said, well, before you leave, let's pray. You know what happened? He got on his knees. I started, you know, sitting in my chair just to start to pray sitting there, and he got on his knees. And I thought, you know what? I was brought up that way. In my old denomination, they all knelt. <laughs> it was an assumption. When they had prayer, everybody got on their knees, and he did. And I thought, you know, I remember when I was a boy, family devotions with my mother and father, we would kneel around the dining room table every night. And any time my father prayed, he was on his knees. My first memory of my father was seeing him on his knees every day for a half hour before he went to work. And I've been influenced like that. But you know what? Over the years, I stopped kneeling. I stopped kneeling. But of course, because of my friend, he got on his knees. Well, I did too. But that began to work on me. And I began to think, Lord, what about posture and method? Does that matter to you? And I had this feeling that maybe I should start kneeling when I pray in my private devotions. And I thought, well, Lord, if it really is from you, if this is your idea, um, let me see it in my Bible. Do you know my psalm for the day? Of, for my Bible reading, first words. David says, I will bow before the Lord. <laughs> There's my confirmation. And then I realized when Paul spoke to the Ephesians, uh, the Ephesians, chapter 3, he says, I bow before the Lord. I bend the knee. When the church at Ephesus, the elders met, they all got on their knees. When Jesus went into Gethsemane, he knelt. Jesus, he knelt. And this was the way it was done. And I can't say I do this all the time, but I began doing it for a while. And a good part of my own devotions, it's just something I do. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you don't. I take time to kneel. And God has honored this. Now there are those who cannot kneel. And I've got a friend who's had two knee operations. He couldn't possibly kneel. And it's just something to think about. Uh, if you're worried that if you don't pray your, if you don't pray on your knees that your prayer won't be heard, don't worry because David sat before the Lord. So posture isn't everything, but it's something I felt led that in this talk to you today uh, to mention. One last point. It goes back to my first point 
the mystery of prayer. You wonder why God doesn't always answer. Um, I happen to be a, a bit of a historian for church history. And I know in the years from 1553 to 1558, uh, the Queen of England, Mary, uh, saw much persecution. She was not uh, a very nice woman and many were persecuted. That's when you had those that were burned at the stake. I think of the time when uh, Bishop Hugh Lattery, Latimer and, and Nicholas Ridley, uh, there is a cross in the middle of the road in Oxford on Broad Street. I used to go there every day, just walk by it and just take a look. I used to say, Lord, don't let me ever forget because there's a cross embedded into the pavement to remind anybody that that is where these two men were burnt at the stake. And the witnesses, they wrote it down right after it happened. As the flames were encircling their bodies, Latimer said back to Ridley, he, he, they were both back to back and they were tied together and the, the, the flames are now coming up. And Latimer said, fear not, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle that I trust in England will never go out. Well, those five years were awful. But you know, it was also in those five years that hundreds fled to a little town in Switzerland by the name of Geneva. And one from Scotland, John Knox, he went, he said, the most perfect school of Christ on earth. And they sat at the feet of John Calvin. And then at the end, when a new queen came, Queen Elizabeth, they came back to England, but now they were schooled in the word and they had a sound theology and a zeal. And so you wonder, why didn't God hear the prayers of those in those five years? Because they prayed that they would be relieved and relieved of such persecution. But there is a reason that we cannot understand that God doesn't always answer prayer. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I was called out of class. My uncle was on the phone in the principal's office, said, RT, your, your mother has just had a stroke and your father is coming to pick you up and take you to the hospital. You know, for the next several weeks, we prayed for my mother Five different people anointed with oil. Some, they actually said they prayed through. And even my dad said, I have heard from God that your mom's going to be healed. RT, don't worry, your mother will be healed. And I believe God gave me a word. Well, it happens several weeks later. I was part of the Ashland High School band. And we were invited to play at the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C., when President Harry Truman was president, a great honor for our little town band. And I got to go. Even though my mother was very ill, she said, you should go. My dad said, you should go. And as soon as we arrived in Washington, I called my Aunt Frida. And I said, guess who this is? She said, where are you? I said, it's RT. She said, I know, where are you? Uh, well, I'm at the train station at the restaurant right across from the station. Don't leave. Your uncle will come to get you. I said, what's, what's going on? She said, your mother just 
passed away this morning. Well, I've asked all my life, why did God take my mother when she was only 43 years old? There's a mystery. I don't understand it all. As I said, the more I learn, the less I know. But I know this. Even Paul, when he prayed because of his thorn in the flesh, he said, I prayed three times, God, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And just know this, that praying is never wasted time. We don't understand his ways, but his ways are higher than our ways. And by the way, this is for those who are saved. I just want to ask you, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? If you're not sure. And if you're trusting in your church membership or baptism or you try to be a good person, don't do that. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart, and as best as I know how, I give you my life. You prayed that prayer, and if you said it from your heart, you meant it. You're just as saved as I am. That's it for now. I look forward to talking to you again on the subject, the unconscious fringe benefit of prayer.